Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is the writer, actress, and video blogger, Francesca Ramsey. You may know her from her MTV news show, Decoded, or her web videos under the name Cheska Lee. And if you don't know her, you're in for a real treat because she is so awesome and hilarious, and you definitely need her in your life. I hope everyone had a great holiday break and New Year's, and also hope that you're not having too hard of a time coming back to reality. We don't have a sponsor this week, so let's get into it. I really try to embody classy slash tacky nails, and <laughs> it's really fun for me. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like my my hero growing up was John Waters, right? So oh, like, yeah. he's like, you know, he's the master of yes. tacky. Slash, like, Cla- cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where did you grow up? I'm originally from South Florida, West Palm Beach. Okay. And yeah, born and raised. <laughs> what was it like uh, growing up down there? Um, I think I had a unique experience because, like, I went to private school and I was, like, the one of, like, five black kids in, like, a small Catholic private school and okay. I'm not Catholic. Um, <laughs> so how did you end up there? Um, well, my mother worked for the school district and according to her, when she took me to look at one of the, or when she went to one of the local schools to try and find out, you know, just more about where I would possibly be going to school. Um, she was really like turned off by how segregated the school was. Like they took her to one class and it was predominantly white and they did like a little poem for her. I think they were like in kindergarten and she was super impressed. And my mom said, well, will Francesca be in this class? And their response was like, no, she'll be in this class. And they took her to this really packed class that was like all the brown students. What? And they like struggled to say the little poem. And my mom was like, well, why will my daughter be in this class? And they were like, oh, well, she'll be more comfortable here. And my mom was like, what the heck? How, how did that school get away with that? I mean, unfortunately, a lot of schools are still very segregated, like yeah. not not necessarily that they like make a mandate, like we're going to put you in this class, we're going to put you in this class. Um, I think it was kind of just like, and not necessarily unconscious, but according to my mother, like she just, that was like the first thing that she was able to observe and she was really unhappy about right. it. And so she was like, my kid's not going to that school and started looking for other places. And um, the place that she found that she really had the best connection to and thought that I would, you know, get a good education ended up being a Catholic school, even though I'm not Catholic. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I. I That's I, amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> That like you know like what's what's your mom's background? Why was she? Uh... Well, she's worked in education oh, okay. for a really long time. So she was a English high school English teacher, and then she um, worked for the Department of of Education, helping place teachers um, in different schools in the district. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, my dad was a teacher too for like thirty something years. Okay, yeah. So I we got a lot of I understand the education system comings and goings and yeah. ups and downs. I mean it's kind of a blessing and a curse in the sense that my mom was always really strict about my diction and my spelling, which was really <laughs> yeah. annoying. But I think that it's a played a big role in who I am now. Well, yeah, I mean growing up in in, in Southern Florida, would you consider it ideal? I loved it. I mean it's really warm. It's really laid back. It's kind of slow, mm-hmm. um, which is always jarring whenever I go back compared to New York. Um, but I had a really good childhood and I have lots of really great friends and family that are still there. That's great. What kind of kid were you growing up? I am an only child. Me too. 
So I have always been very talkative, very expressive. Um, Did you enjoy being an only child? Oh, I, you know, in retrospect, I think I would be a totally different person if I wasn't an only child. But at the time, I was really bummed about it. And I always asked my parents for siblings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. I was like lonely and jealous of my friends that had siblings. It seemed like they were always having such a great time. I know. I, I, I think about it a lot, too, because I think on the one hand, like I was definitely always trying to make my friendships be like these like surrogate brother and sister relationships. Yeah. Which, uh... I don't know, that was like, you know, that's not like, you know, that's setting yourself up for a lot of rejection. (laughs) And then, but on the other hand, like I was able to get really weird and that there was never anybody being like, what are you doing? Like, that's true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're that, allowed to just kind of like get yeah. into weird zones without and, like retribution. And even if your parents don't have the intention of spoiling you, you do get spoiled because you're there to get all of their attention. Right. And, you know, I did things like went to acting camp and did um, art and music and dance and did all of these extracurricular activities that if I had had a sibling, I don't know if my parents would have been able to afford that. Right. You know, not that my parents were wealthy, but they really made sure that I did the best or got opportunities that they didn't get. Right. And so sometimes that was a stretch, but it was super important to them. And I feel like if I'd had a sibling, I don't know that it we would have been able to do yeah, yeah. I don't think that they would have been able to do all those things. Where, where did, did you go to acting camp in Florida? I went to, um, North Carolina school of the arts oh. summer program. Oh, amazing. So I did that, um, after my freshman year of high school, Um, and besides that, I went to a performing arts middle and high school. Yeah. So I was always doing acting. That was always like the path you wanted to go down. I think so. I mean, I just always was really creative and talkative and imaginative. And initially I wanted to go to school for visual arts. Um, I actually have a degree in graphic design, so I've always loved visual arts. Um, but I didn't get past like the first audition. I, I, I think I... I did like the part of the audition, which was like a live drawing and I got past that part and then I did the portfolio review and I just flopped. I didn't have like enough work for the portfolio review. I did the acting audition and I did, they have a, a communications department, which is kind of like writing and speech this and debate. This is in high school. Middle school. Middle school. Middle school and yeah. high school. So I did all three art areas. I got past the acting and the communications and I begged my mom because she really wanted me to be in like speech and debate for some reason. And I said, I really want to act. Um, <laughs> but what I really want to do is act. But what I yeah. really would like to do is put on wigs. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I joined the acting program and uh, I guess it's been history ever since. That's cool. Do you remember the first thing you were really interested in growing up? Ooh, music for yeah. sure. I definitely wanted to be a pop star slash the first Black Little Mermaid. Who were you? <laughs> who were your people growing up? Like, who were the people you were looking up to? Oh my gosh! Well, I grew up on like R and B, so right. I loved SWV. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember singing Mariah Carey in the talent show, which you're kind of setting yourself up trying to tackle Mariah Carey. Yes, yeah. Um, but I gave it a go. Um, I sang a little Brandy, a little Monica. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I loved like girl groups like SWV yeah. and, and Vogue. Yeah, and Vogue. Yeah, that was such a good time in the 90s for oh all those groups. Oh my God, such a good, it's really, there's really not that many girl groups anymore. There really isn't. No. Like, name one. 
Fifth Harmony. Okay, see, I don't even, I couldn't exactly. even tell you any of their songs. And they songs came and from like, a reality show. So right. they had to force them to be a girl group. They didn't organically, you know, like come up together, yeah. hard knock style. Yeah. Destiny's Child. Yeah. I mean, and even that, as much as I love them, is somewhat orchestrated. Right. I mean, I, I think most of, well, you got to think a lot of that stuff is orchestrated if you get down to it, down to it. But like, I don't know. I think TLC probably came together in a pretty organic way. You know what? Off the top of my head, I'm not really sure. But that still even is like the golden age of girl groups. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like modern and even Destiny's Child, that's an old girl group. Right. They were out a long time ago when I was in high school. Yeah. So yeah, modern, all I can think of is Fifth Harmony. So, you know, just go back to a little bit. I, I took us off track and I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, <laughs> You know, were your parents supportive of, of what you wanted to do? Did they have a plan for you? I mean, it seems like they were always encouraging Yeah, you. my parents were surprisingly really cool about, like, me going into the arts. And I yeah. say surprisingly because they're both, like, very practical. Like, my dad's an account was an accountant. Yeah. And, like, my mom worked in, like, administrative education. They don't have, like, any artistic backgrounds at all. But they were always just kind of like, if you're happy, go for it. Do the best that you can do. And I'm really fortunate in that respect because I know a lot of people whose parents were always kind of like, you need to get a real job. And mine were always just like, all right, if that's what you want to do. Like, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. But I've always had a very practical mind in the sense that I went to school for acting and then I left to study graphic design. And largely that was because I was really anxious about how I was going to pay back my student loans. Completely. And I just felt... As much as I enjoyed acting, I was going to an out-of-state school. It was super expensive, and I knew that I would make a terrible waitress. So I thought, you know, I was really into computers, and I had um, learned HTML, and I was working um, for the School of Public Health, like working on their website, and I was making like 20 bucks an hour. And I thought, this would be a great way to pay my bills, and I could do acting on the side. Exactly. And my parents were like, all right, you want to switch majors and go to another college? Cool. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) They they didn't pressure me at all. Yeah. Um, And like, so so beyond that, what was, did you have an idea of like the path you wanted to follow? I mean, it's so funny because the path that I'm on now did not exist when I was in college. Um, You know, YouTube was founded right before my senior year so yeah, 2000, like 2004 yeah 2004, 2005 five, yeah. 2004 2005 yeah. I graduated 2006 okay so YouTube was pretty fresh um people were not making money from YouTube when I was in school um we didn't even teach social media when I was in school yeah I mean well, what was there, it there was no so there was yeah. MySpace um AOL I think, chat rooms yeah it was pretty it was very new um And so for me, I knew I wanted to work in entertainment, but I didn't know in what capacity. And at some point, I kind of gave up because I was working as a graphic designer. I couldn't get an agent. I was going on the most terrible auditions ever. Where where were you in this time period? Um, I was in Miami. You're Miami, okay. um, And then I was doing stand-up in Miami, and I was trying to audition, but with a day job, it was really hard. Um, just go, just go back for a second for stand up. Um, how did that come about? Um, I think it was just my desire to perform because I wasn't getting a chance to do anything like right. in film and TV. Um, I was working as a graphic designer at the city of Miami beach for the city of Miami beach for two and a half years. And I had 
long hours. We had a lot of events. We had a lot of early morning things. And um, I really thought in my mind that I was going to like sneak off and go on auditions at lunch, but I I never was able to do that. Um, So for me, being able to do stand up at night or, you know, make YouTube videos was kind of like my creative outlet. Gotcha. Were were you going to open mics and stuff? Yeah, I was doing a lot of open mics. I was doing a lot of contests. Um, What was it like that first time that you got on stage? Do you remember that? So I had a a really great supportive audience. All of our old friends from high school came out and watched us and we had a really good time. I, I, I think I lucked out, especially because I came from an acting background. Right. I mean, yeah, it probably shakes off some of that nervousness and that like a lot of people have who haven't had that experience before. And yeah, absolutely. Were there were there people comedy wise that that, you know, kind of turned you onto that path or like people that you got excited about or maybe people that influenced you? I mean, one of my favorite comedians to this day is Maria Bamford. Yeah. She's so weird and I'm, I'm not as weird as she is, but in my heart and soul, I think I'd like to be that weird (laughs) because she's just willing to go there. I love that she does voices. I love to do impressions and characters and stuff. Um, and I feel like she's very fearless in the way that she infuses her life and her struggles um, and the things that she's insecure about and the things that she's questioning in her work. Um, and so I really appreciate that. Did you, did you, were you like turned on to her by, do you remember there was like that time in the late nineties, early two thousands where like there all were all com- those great comedy yeah. central stand up half hour standups. It was like Maria Bamford had one that they just used to air all the yeah, time. I definitely and saw her. Um, Zach special. Galifianakis. Yeah. And too. then there, there's a, um, documentary that they did, the comedians of comedy. Oh yeah, comedians of comedy. Um, so I think I saw that, and I just thought it was so funny. Um, and also, you know, being friends with Eric, who is a really weird guy, he's, yeah, and he's always been that weird guy. Um, I was just inspired by the fact that he. Could... I got uh, his legalized ranch. I oh. went to his ranch pop up. <laughs> That's really <laughs> got the, funny. Got the air for, got the ranch air freshener. That's really funny. Um, <laughs> I was just really. In, I'm very inspired by people who kind of blaze their own paths and create opportunities for themselves in ways that are authentic to who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a big part of why my career has kind of taken the path that it's taken because I've always liked the idea of doing what you want to do, what's most important to you and and not sacrificing who you are for a check. And right. I'm really fortunate that I've been able to do that and get this far. I think that's I think that kind of mindset's what's always leads to the best stuff, the most original stuff, you know? And I mean it's really hard for you to be like, well, I don't see a lane for what I want to do and then to like make your own lane. Right. But once you get people that start responding to it, it's just like it's you're free, there's no traffic. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, and to go back to your question about you know, where I saw myself, um, I always saw myself or wanted to see myself just doing things that I thought were smart and funny and honest. Um, and I thought if I can be in front of the screen, that'll, you know, on camera, that'll be awesome. Right. If it's behind the camera, if it's on the computer, if it's in print, if it's on a billboard, awesome. You just just, wanted to be involved. I just wanted wanted to to make stuff, you know, and I never could have anticipated that the internet would play such a role in my career. Where where do you think that drive comes from? Um, I do think it's largely because I I 
know who I am and I know what's important to me. And if I don't see someone else saying it, like I want to be the person to say it. Right. So, um, you know, I was going on auditions and, and trying to get work when I, I moved to New York in 2009. Okay. And what was the reason for that move for leaving so Miami? So my now husband, he was my boyfriend at the time, okay. um, was going to law school. And so he decided he wanted to go to law school and uh, we knew we wanted to stay together. And so I told him, you can go to law school in New York or LA. Yeah. <laughs> and what was going through your mind? I just, I thought like, this is my moment. <laughs> um, I had I had won a YouTube contest the year before where I got to interview celebrities on the red carpet at the Emmys for YouTube and People magazine. Oh, wow. So for me, I was coming off this huge thing, and I was like, I'm going to go to New York. I have this awesome reel with me like, and Josh Groban at the <laughs> Emmys like singing and doing parrot voices, and I'm going to make it. Um, and I got to New York, and like, no one was interested. Like, I, I could not get an interview anywhere. Like, No agents wanted to talk to me. Um, well, it was like 2009 too. I don't think people like understood the the concept or and the power within like people who are you know all these like self starters who like oh, created their own no. audiences. It is so know? funny because I cannot begin to tell you how many meetings I had with online outlets that will remain nameless <laughs> where I went in there and I said, look, I did this awesome thing. I built my own audience. I'm making YouTube videos. Um, I had you know done a lot of hosting. And I thought, this is so cool. Like, I can build a YouTube channel for some of these online networks right. and we can do behind the scenes. And I came in with like pitches and PowerPoint presentations. And a number of these meetings, people looked at me like, what are you fucking talking about? That makes no sense. And now here I am. 10 years later and those same outlets are like, we would love for you to make videos for us. Exactly. And I'm like, you guys are so late. Like, yeah, y'all missed the boat. You missed the freaking boat. You yeah. never invested in social. You never invested in YouTube or making videos of any kind. And now they're scrambling exactly. to catch up. And so I was just so frustrated by the fact that I couldn't get an agent. And all the auditions that I was getting called in for were like sassy black girl number three. Yep. Um, so I just really started focusing on my YouTube channel. And again, I was working as a graphic designer um, in fashion. I worked for Maybelline doing like package design. Okay, cool. I worked for Ann Taylor doing like um, window visuals. I worked for um, anthropology. And, so you're uh, doing like great work in the daytime. That's super fulfilling. I was doing stuff that I really liked. Yeah. Like I love to shop. And so <laughs> like doing design for Ann Taylor. And I listen, people sleep on Ann Taylor, but like they have cute stuff. All right. I'm just going to put it freaking out there. And they're body positive AF. They go up to size 18. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would be like designing stuff and like looking through the windows. And I was like, this is so cool. I'm getting paid to like shop and look at cool clothes. Yeah. And then I would go home and I would like edit and film stuff and write. And um, I just really was fortunate enough that people cared and I built an audience that helped me lead to a viral video. Right. Well, one thing, you know, that um, I'd like to talk about, because I think a lot of people kind of have that same mindset where they're like, OK, I'm going to do this in the daytime. But like what I really want to do yes. is this <laughs> thing. And I, I think a lot of people find themselves getting really burnt out on what they do in the daytime. Absolutely. So for like you, you know, what was what is your advice to people who, you know, kind of have that desire, but find themselves like they come home from a day of work and they're like, 
I just got to turn on the TV. Like my, you know, like how do you, how do you power through that? So you really have to prioritize in the sense that sometimes you can't go to brunch. Sometimes, you know, you have to leave the party early or not go to the party at all. Um, I have been an early bird for a really long time. I forced myself to become an early bird just because I knew this was something I wanted to do. So, um, for example, when I was working at Ann Taylor or when I was working in retail, if I knew I only had Saturday off and I thought this video is going to take a really long time, I would wake up at 6 a.m. and I would start filming as early as possible and I would spend my entire day editing and I would get a whole video done in one day. Yeah. Um, and then I would have the next day as my like free day to just like chill. Gotcha. So I think you have to really budget your time. And figure out a way that makes work for you. Yeah. Yeah. Figure out a way that works for you. And if you're realizing that you are, are not feeling fulfilled in whatever that extra thing is, there's nothing wrong with like changing and retooling or taking a different approach or getting some friends to help you or, you know, sending out some of that work, you know, maybe you have to get, an intern or you have to collaborate with a college student who's got a great camera that, you know, can help kind of relieve some of the, the duties when it comes to filming or editing or whatever it is that you're working on. I think that you just have to be really scrappy in your approach to whatever your creative field is. Is there a video like from early on that you still like wish more people would have come to? Mm. Is there anything where you're like, why didn't anybody pay attention to this one? I'm oh just out of, I just feel out like of that's I feel like that happens all the time. I think early on I realized that if you stop thinking that this is the one, then like as soon the, anytime you would be like, oh, this is the one, it would totally bomb. And right. then the times that you just think it's nothing, you just throw it up. Um, it would do really well. Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily know that anything didn't do as well as I wanted it to. For me, it was never really about that because yeah. I went for such a long time where I didn't really have very many people watching my videos. Yeah, how did you grow an audience? Like, how did that happen? Um, I think the most Cliff Notes way to describe <laughs> it is is I grew up on the internet. Yeah. So, like, I went to HTML camp in I went to computer camp in, like, middle school. Right. And I learned how to build my own site. And This um, is, like, this is, the, is this, like, the era of, like, Angel Fire Geo Yeah, tripod. Kind of, yeah. That my my I had we had tripod was our um was our internet service provider and it came with an FTP. Okay. So I had my own site, I had a bootleg copy of Photoshop, yeah, and um and a scanner because I didn't have there was no digital cameras, so I right. would scan all my pictures in. It was ridiculous. Um, and so, yeah, I started working on a site then and people I went to school with would follow it. Um, and then I moved on to live journal when I oh, got yeah. into college. Oh yeah. That's, that's where you, that's where you place all your feelings. Yes. Oh my God. You your heart. All of the, that has live, been deleted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was on live journal and then my college had an FTP. So I, I had a site then. Yeah. Um, and then I bought my domain, I think in 2002. And so like, I just kind of kept working on this site and building an audience that way. But my live journal audience is where, when I started making videos, I would post my videos on live journal. Oh wow. So um, I was part of like a 
dreadlock forum and I would share pictures of my hair and hairstyle videos and I would just post them there and like slowly started growing from there. And I was part of like a, a gossip community. So when I did that red carpet contest, I posted my entry video in the gossip community and I was like, it wasn't a, Oh no, they did. Oh was yes, it, it was. It was. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm still, I still lurk on, Oh no, they did. I feel way old. And that's the only reason I know who fifth harmony is, but yes, I did. This was long before you could not post about yourself on Oh No, They Did It. Okay, I, a confession, I oh have like God. a huge, like I was just, I've always been obsessed with gossip. Oh my God. Gossip sites. I listen, I used I to live. just like refresh Oh No, They Didn't all day long. So when I you know? worked for the city of Miami Beach, Ugh. I would see a lot of celebrities. Yeah. So I would, and you know, I would always do posts of like whatever celeb I had seen in Miami. Um, like I think a girl from Flavor of Love, I ran into her at Starbucks, so I like did a post about her. I know they didn't. So like every time I would post about celebs, um, I met Hulk Hogan's daughter at an event one yeah. time. She's from Florida. Yeah. Uh, we hosted an event at a burger joint that Queen Latifah was an angel investor for. <laughs> so I posted about that. Like I just like slowly grew. Like, as a, a local Miami gossip girl. That's amazing. And then I, like, would slide in there, like, P.S., I'm in this contest. Can y'all vote for me? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was shortly after that they they made it so you couldn't submit posts about yourself anymore. <laughs> um, same Shameless self-promotion. So amazing. I built an audience kind of through my live journal, through my personal um, website, <laughs> And, uh, yeah. And then once I kind of abandoned live journal, I just made a lot of friends through YouTube back then you could do video responses. Yeah. So someone would make a video. Yes, yes, yes. I remember that. Yeah. And so you can make a response and it would be like right under the video, but you had to approve the responses. Yeah. So it was kind of like if, if you made a video response to someone that was really popular and then they approved your video response, you could get a ton of subscribers some and, cachet right and a there. ton of yeah. views. Yeah. Right. So um, I kind of did all of those things and just made friends with a bunch of YouTubers and um, went to a huge YouTube meetup when I moved to New York. Was it like early? This is like early. Early. I went yeah. to, it was called 789 because the date was 78. 2009. Okay. So I went to 789. I met tons of YouTubers, collabed with all of them, just made, cool. made friends with them. Um, so yeah, it was the very organic old school way of growing an audience. Mm -hmm. In retrospect, it's like all the textbook things you're supposed to do. Topical, celebrity, trending, right. collaborations. Um, yeah. And engagement, just like res I respond to every single comment. Um, and it's a big deal. I think it's a big deal for people to feel like people want to have that connection. Oh, absolutely. Especially it's because there's important. so many people that don't do that. Right. I mean, even to this day, I can't, of course, respond to every comment, but I go through and reply to my Snapchats and reply on Facebook. And every single time people are like, whoa, I can't believe you're answering my comment. And it's like, yeah, thank you for watching. I, I wouldn't be where I am if you didn't watch and right. share and engage with me. When I was coming up, it really bothered me that people I enjoyed wouldn't respond to comments and be like, I'm paying your rent right now yeah. because we, we, we watch what you do and we share and whatever and you don't even say well, thanks. Well, I mean, it's like you're creating your own audience. It's not like somebody gives you a platform and then you're beholden to the people that give you the platform. You're beholden to directly to the people that are, you know, yeah, you are a one, that are making you. You are you know? a one woman show. Or yeah. I mean, now... 
now it's very different. Um, and I think for people that want to create online brands or careers, like it is, I mean, they're competing against people that have production companies yeah. and, and entire teams behind them. But in the early days, like, yeah, you really had to be your own PR. You really had to be your own editor. You had to, you had to sit there and be audience management. Yeah. Was there, was there anything like, were there frustrating moments when you're trying to make it happen? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think for me in the early days and and even today, sometimes I encounter this, it was a lot of people just didn't take it seriously. And it was so hard to describe to people like, this was a hobby of mine that I really enjoy. And there are a lot of people that were just like, why? I don't get it. You know, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. like when I moved to New York and I, I thought that I had something important and valuable, a lot of people just didn't understand. They were like, you make videos in your bedroom? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> That's very strange. I know. And then it's like now there's like people like Michelle Fawn where it's like she's like an empire owner, you know? Huge. Or Issa Rae on yeah. HBO, yeah. you know, whose show just got renewed for a second season. Yep. I mean... People are creating incredible careers for themselves and names for themselves off of the internet. But in the early days, a lot of people just thought it was a waste of time and that you were a weirdo because, you know, you talk to yourself in a room yeah. <laughs> looking at your computer, which is, you know, uh, kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I, I loved it then. I love it now. Um, besides that, I think... What has also been a challenge, and I think this is something everyone deals with, is there's a lot of negativity online because people can anonymously say whatever they want, and it's hard not to get discouraged. Even if you're a nobody, there's always yeah. that random person that's like, kill yourself. You're like, I only have 10 views. Like, yeah. well, who are you? Like, well, how do you have the time? <laughs> well, I mean, well, this is the thing, you know, just to, to derail for a second, like, cumulatively, is it better that we're more connected you know, that like with things like Facebook and Twitter, but at the same time where people can like, you know, also disseminate this like misinformation, right. this hate, you know what I mean? Like, wh- yeah. where, how do you think it weighs out in it's your a, opinion? I think as with everything, it's a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. you know, like the car is an awesome invention. There's also people that drink and drive and right. people that Snapchat and drive and right. people get road rage you know what I mean it doesn't mean the car is terrible it just means that they're going to be shitty people that don't know how to use this awesome piece of technology and are going to abuse it and then you know you also have people who are going to find really creative ways to use that technology to connect to other people and visit people that they haven't seen in a long time or like give a lift to a homeless guy who you know needs to get someplace or whatever it is Um, I feel the same way about the internet and social media I have met and made so many amazing friends. I've gotten so many cool opportunities. I have traveled the world and gotten to meet fans and of my work of all different walks of life, which right. is amazing. Right. Um, I've also, you know, gotten death threats and, you know, people have made petitions to try and get me fired. Like <laughs> it's like in, in the wrong hands, people are going to do awful things if that is their goal. It's, it feels weird to say, but I realize that I'm still very fortunate in that I don't deal with it as much as certain people do. Mm-hmm. I have a very warped perspective in that I know some very high-profile women and uh, women of color and people of color and LGBT folk that deal with just 
ridiculous amounts of harassment to the point that they have to hire security at their events, you know, or have had to cancel events because of bomb threats and things like that. So I, I am very fortunate that I don't deal with some of those things, but yeah, I'm human. There are absolutely days where I just think like this freaking sucks. It sucks. that something that I enjoy so much has in many ways been tainted. You know, I've had to take a break especially with the election, I've had to take a break from social media. I don't answer my comments anymore. Um, I hired someone that helps me manage my Facebook page because as soon as I hit like a certain number of fans, it just got really out of control. And um, and it, bo- it makes me mad and sad that those people have made certain spaces where my audience felt like they could be honest and connect with me that there are people who say like, I don't want to comment on your videos anymore. Or I had to unsubscribe because every single time I turn on my computer, like these nasty people were attacking me and I just needed to get away from it or whatever it is. Um, But to your point, it really has more to do with them than it has to do with me. Um, And so I do in some ways feel sorry for them. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. What um, was there a moment where you feel like you kind of like broke through in terms of like, you know, getting a new audience or was there, was there kind of like an aha moment where you put out a video and things kind of changed after that? I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, I had been making videos for about six years when, um, shit white girls say to black girls went viral, which Mm -hmm. is in 2012. And, you know, like I had been working at Ann Taylor for about a year and, um, just kind of plugging away and not really getting a lot of views, having like a few hits, small hits here and there, but mm-hmm. nothing really substantial. And, um, you know, that video got a million views by the time I got to lunch. I posted it before I went to work. What was going through your mind? I was crying at my desk and my coworkers were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like they didn't know that I made YouTube videos. So it was very uh, difficult to explain to them what I was so excited about and what was going on. Um, it was really life changing for me. I got my agent from yeah. that. I was interviewed on Anderson Cooper as my first national TV interview. Um, MTV News did a special about me in the video, and I started getting calls to speak at different colleges. Oh, wow. I filmed a TV pilot. Like I got a development deal. Like I just my whole life changed. I quit my job, and I was <laughs> like, all right, I guess I'm doing this now. Well, how are you able to handle all that? I was, I was a mess. Like I, I, every single day I like think to myself, I'm so fortunate that my husband is so great because I, I was a nightmare. I was just crying all the time and I was just really stressed out. Um, I was really scared about quitting my job. Yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 it's this very like nerve wracking thing. I was so going into the unknown. I was so worried. I was like, I'm giving up my health care. I'm giving up my stability. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe, you know, I, I'm so lucky that I still have the same agent. But, you know, agents drop people all the time. And yeah. I just thought, I'm taking this huge risk. What if they drop me? What if I fail? And I just, it was really, really scary. Um, but I'm really fortunate that I have my husband and my family. And, 
you know, their advice to me was like, what's the worst that happens? If it doesn't work out, go back and get a job. Like, she's just like, you know what I mean? Like you're, I, my mother always says, and I say this now, you are yeah. highly employable. Like just go get a job somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, yeah, that's true. Um, and at one point, you know, I, I was full time for a while and I wasn't making a lot of money. And so I went back and got a job. Like yeah. I worked at Upworthy for two years still made videos but yeah. i was like i need a regular paycheck um you gotta feed that content monster yeah that but, content monster gets very upset yeah <laughs> you know what though here's the thing i um i see a lot of people in the youtube space going down this path where you see their content change because yeah they start feeding the content monster they start chasing views yeah and they start doing you know What's in my purse? Watch me eat baby food. Just like all this dumb shit that I would never do. But, yeah. uh, you know, no shade. Do what you got to do right. to to make that money. But part of me has always said, like, I'm not going to do that. Like, yeah. I'm, there's certain things I'm never going to do. And if I get to a place where this is not paying my bills, I'm not enjoying it anymore, I will leave and I will go do something else. Like, right. I am fortunate enough to have college degree, yeah. lots of work experience and and many marketable skills and interest that I am not stuck doing this one thing for the rest of my life. And I think when you can play it like that, when you play it where it's not like this is going to either make or break me every move, I think that allows you that frees you up to make your best work. I think so. I mean, I I know people that daily vlog and they seem so miserable every day they're like i have to make this video if i don't make this video like i'm not going to be able to pay my bills right. and i'm just like that sucks i like being able to be like and eh, do i want to put out a video right now no i haven't put out a video in a month guess what i don't have to and i don't i'm not going to do it until i have some like great burst of energy and something i really want to say and i just like know that this is the the venue for it and i'm gonna do it yeah um I never want to be in a position where I'm just like, oh, I have to do this thing. Granted, you know, we all have to do things we don't like. But when it comes to your creative passions, if it turns into a slog, then I don't think that's worth it. Yeah, you're not putting your best self out there. You're not, like, making your best work. And it's no. Just, it's just, you're wasting everybody's time. It has, to be, you ha it has to be fun. And I think it has to start as fun. That's the other problem. I think, especially in the YouTube space, a lot of people – are creating content because they want to become internet famous. They want yeah. to go viral and they're chasing this idea of like internet fame. And if you aren't doing it because you love it, you are going to burn out and be very disappointed very quickly because it takes a lot of time and luck and, and you just never know when it's going to happen. Yeah. And, and that's any art area, you know, of like most famous painters don't get the recognition until they're dead. Right. You know, but they have to keep creating because they love it. I think, you know, and I, I, you know, I think about a couple of my friends' bands like that have like, you know, transitioned to the point where like they do a full time and like they live like a healthy life, you know, a healthy, mm -hmm. good living. They probably worked for like 10 years before 10 that happened. Years. No, no. It, it, 110 percent. Like yeah. that's exactly what it was because it's the thing where. You build up, you build up your base, you build up your strength, like, you know, like, you build up your confidence, mm -hmm. you know, and then, like, when the people come around and you're ready for that opportunity, that's why when you see people who just, like, shoot up, like, overnight, like, they don't have the structure right. to, they to can keep crash it going. And, they can crash and burn yeah. out. They get burnt out really fast. Um, and I, I've seen that happen 
to a lot of people in a lot of different fields. So I'm very fortunate that things have happened the way that they have. And, you know, in retrospect, there were many days where I was like, this sucks. And why am I not here? Or why am I not doing that? And now I can look back and say, Ooh, I was not ready. Right. Um, or that thing was not the right thing for me. (laughs) Um, and I'm glad that I didn't end up in that place and I'm where I'm supposed to be right now. Yeah. That, that, that I've, I've experienced many similar feelings to that. Like, but in that moment when you're down there, just like looking up, like how the fuck am I going to get up there? Yeah. I think that that's something that's so important to be honest about because I think it's encouraging to other people who feel that way right now. Yeah. You know, sometimes the things that we really think are the, this is just going to make my career. It's going to make me so happy. Um, if it doesn't work out, chances are it just wasn't really meant for you. Right. Um, and I think that that can be really hard to acknowledge that sometimes we don't deserve the things that we think we do. <laughs> yeah. We're not prepared for the things that we think we want. Uh-huh. Um, and when talent and preparation kind of come together in that magic trifecta, mm-hmm. it works out. Right. You know, looking back, how, how did your comedy style develop over time? You know, Shit White Girls Say was like a really huge turning point for me because I got so much attention and I realized that I had started this international conversation about race and identity on accident. Yeah. And a lot of people were angry, but a lot of people were excited and a lot of people felt represented in a way that they had never been before. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I don't see anyone else doing this. I think I'm kind of good at this Mm -hmm. and I like it. Um, And I like the combination of, you know, I've been doing stuff about social issues before. Like I talked about healthcare and I talked about student loans and safe sex and getting tested for HIV. Like I had made stuff that had a social commentary, but nothing had had the kind of impact that shit white girls say Mm. did. Where Where do you think that desire to educate comes from? I just liked how it made me feel to hear people saying like, whoa, you really changed how I thought about something or I never knew that anyone else was having this experience and you really helped me crystallize some things that I've been thinking about or or needed to talk to with people in my family or mm-hmm. my job or whatever. And it just felt so cool to know that people were able to use that video as a conversation starter. And I just wanted to keep doing that. Yeah. That's cool. How, so how did, uh, was there a moment where you knew that things were taking off like kind of after this, like, you know, uh, after this, after the video came out and, you know, it kind of opened up all these doors for you. Yeah. I think since then it's really kind of just been a slow climb. That mm-hmm. was really a huge moment for me. But since then it's been like, you know, little successes here and then you have a little, little slowdown and yep. then you have another success and then you have another slowdown. Um, you know, most recently, um, I think it's been a little over a year and a half now. Um, I developed a web series with MTV called MTV Decoded. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Cornaber Brown, which is the producers of our show. And, um, you know, that was after I had spent a year trying to pitch a television show that no one wanted to buy. And that was, again, me being like, no, my life is over. I'm never right. going to make it. And then MTV said, oh, hey, do you want to, like, reformat this for the web? And so I said, oh, wow, yeah, sure. So then that was another eight months of, like, developing and trying stuff and yes and no and going back and forth um, before getting that off the ground. 
And um, and then that led to me getting onto Nightly Show. Yeah. And then Nightly Show got canceled. You know? So it's like you do something really cool and then it slows down. And Well, just, yeah, just to go back to, you know, because I want to talk about all that stuff. Like just, to, you know, to go back to like Decoded, like when that show came about, you know, what what was going through your head? Like what did you want to do with it? Yeah, I mean, I just knew that I wanted to do what I was doing on my personal YouTube channel and do it on a bigger scale, mm-hmm. um, reach more people. Um, have a little bit of help you know I yeah. was at that time doing all of my videos on my own all the filming all the editing right all the motion graphics um, and even without a day job at the time I mean I, I worked at Upworthy for about two years in that period so uh, there was a time where I did still have a day job and I was still making videos on my own and it was just a lot and so I wanted to take that and do it on a bigger scale and ideally for television and uh, it didn't work out. But when I got the opportunity to reformat it for web, you know, I thought this could be so, so cool. There are all these ideas that I have that I don't have the production ability. I don't have the finances to do. Right. Um, you know, we've been able to travel a little bit. We went to VidCon. We've done um, stuff on location, just like different sketches. Um you know, we have a team that does more research. We've got a motion graphics team, so I can make a joke about, you know, cultural appropriation and your grandma being put on a t-shirt or something and the graphics team can make that. Right. Like, like I you can don't... just say something and yeah, they just you, make it. You don't have to like write for stuff where you're like, oh, well, I, I don't know how to, like, if I can make that happen. Right. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the cool thing I think about like working with a lot of people is because like you're allowed to push each other into ways where like ultimately the end result comes out like better than anything. Absolutely. And you I'm know? super lucky that I have a team behind me yeah. that really gets me. And a lot of times I don't have to say like, well, yeah, what it would be really cool is to see this on screen and this and this and this happen. Like they go through the script and they, based on the, I, I like to make a lot of analogies. So they'll look at things and say like, oh, this is a good analogy. We can do some graphics here. We can do this and that. And so I just was excited to have the opportunity to take all these really cool ideas in my head and all these conversations that my audience has been saying, like, please make a video about this or please talk about this or I don't understand this concept or I need something to show my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whoever because we argued about this. Right. Um, And so I could say, awesome, I'm going to put that on the list and we will try and tackle that on Decoded. And it's been so fulfilling the, t- the title Decoded, um, you know, what, what does that mean for you? So we actually spent about two months trying to come up with a name for this show. Okay. We were going back and forth with MTV, um, and I cannot take the credit. Uh, this amazing uh, comedian, Charla Lawrenceton, came up with the idea, and uh, we were talking about code switching mm-hmm. and the idea of just changing how you speak depending on what groups you're around. But there's already an NPR podcast called Code Switch. Okay. So I said, oh, I love that name, but with, you know, and the show is not about code switching. And she said, well, what if it was just called Decoded? Because it's about breaking down things and like understanding what they mean. And as soon as she said, she said it in the most casual way, which was so, like it was 
it was like in slow motion. Yeah. We all just were like, that's the name. <laughs> um, yeah, you know when you've got it. Yeah, you, you, know? you really do. Um, and I just think it's a perfect encapsulation of what our show is about. We take things that are difficult to talk about or difficult to understand, and we try to break them down into funny digestible shareable ways yeah do you think that you've been able to you know cross over and like educate people that where i feel like a lot of stuff on the internet and like as we've seen this election it's just everybody speaking in echo chambers a lot Absolutely. of the time you know do you think that you've been able to kind of like reach over and like change people's minds have you gotten feedback from people i think so effect? i mean i think especially when it comes change people's minds is the wrong word but i mean educate yeah, people absolutely. and just you know reroute their wiring in their brains so they're you know yeah and you know what i think that is even true for the people that don't like our show because we have a lot of people who tune in week after week and swear up and down they hate me but they <laughs> love arguing about the show and yeah. they love taking whatever the topic is and trying to find a way to debunk it and so even while I don't necessarily agree with their approach or what they have to say, like I think that we're starting valuable conversations. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that's important. And at the end of the day, if what I'm doing is causing you to tune in every week, maybe your mind isn't expanded this week, but maybe it is next week or a year from now right. after you've watched the show for, you know, 365 days. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I say that with a lot of sarcasm, but a lot of truth. Um, but yeah, I get messages from people all the time that say, Oh, I didn't like you or I didn't understand this comp, this topic right. or, um, you know, your video was shown as a, at a conference or in a class that I took. Um, a girl wrote a freaking dissertation about shit white girls say and sent it to me. <laughs> it's amazing. And so there are lots of people who are being exposed to these conversations that they've never had before. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, people have to want to open their mind and hear another side in order for minds to be changed. So sure. you can't force anyone. What well, would, you know, in your, from your perspective, like, why do you, why do you think people are so willful, willfully ignorant? You know, why do people, you know, why don't they want to listen and accept truths? Hmm. I think that that's a multi-layer. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, but, no, no, it's totally fine. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes to talking about like race and identity and just systems of oppression, um, so much of this is taboo and it, it starts with the fact that we don't actually tell the whole story when we're in school. There's a right. lot about our nation's history that I learned when I got into college and after I left college. There's just a lot that we don't actually talk about. We have really watered down our history um, and whitewashed our history yep. and not really been honest about um, the people that made this country, the lives that were lost creating this country. Um the people who didn't the have the genocide that occurred. The genocide on our that occurred on our land. No, yeah. we make them into mascots and say that we're honoring them. You know, um, so I think that's a big part of the problem. So there are a lot of people who who don't know they're ignorant because yeah. they've just never encountered these conversations. Um, and then I think that we've created this cycle where we've given, we've prioritized the same voices and kind of stifled the ones that we've continued to oppress. So people haven't even had the opportunity to tell their own stories and, and tell their own truth. So, um, you know, it's mind-blowing to me that there are people in this country that have never met a person of color. 
that have never met an LGBT person um, or don't know a woman that's had an abortion or don't know someone, you know, that um, has been poor or, you know, there's just people that have not been exposed to certain things. They have all these opinions and their beliefs have never been tested. And Right. And so know? they've never been exposed to anything outside of who they are. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. And then I also think, and I, I, I don't want to say it's an American thing, but I, I think it is because I am American. I, I've never lived anywhere else, so I'm not sure. But I do feel like there's a strong um, idea of, like, this is who I am, and, like, you're not going to change me, and, like, I'm an adult, and this is who, take it or leave it. It's like right. this, it, it's like this really weird thing where people are afraid to like like admitting you're wrong is like a weakness like i see that with like donald trump and like his supporters this idea that like you can just not know something or get something wrong or offend someone and instead of saying like oh damn i didn't know or that was a mistake like the it's like well this is who i am like i'm not changing or like you're the one that's wrong like it's it's very strange and i think that people's unwillingness to acknowledge their mistakes or admit when they're wrong or sure that they don't know something is really detrimental to us making progress. And that's something that I try to be more transparent about because I think when other people see like, oh, wow, she admitted that she made a mistake, that it can hopefully inspire them to do the same right um, because we all make mistakes oh we all, absolutely like, there's nobody who doesn't have any issues or problems you know and the only way to overcome that and to get better is like you admit that you did something wrong and you learn from it yes and i think it's you build on that it's very troubling to me that so many people seem to be adverse to that and like i said they almost look at it and people can't even say sorry. Like that is one of my biggest pet peeves is the inability to apologize. People mm-hmm. say like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah. Like, no, you <laughs> did something that made me feel that way. Yeah. Like say sorry for what you did or I'm sorry if you were offended. It's like, yeah. no, I'm telling you I'm offended. Yeah, it's like, I'm sorry I offended you. Right. Yeah. And so like people can't even wrap their minds around the language to express to people that like I did something wrong. And I just feel like that is a huge hindrance in in the name of progress. Yeah. Just to go back for a little bit, you know, (laughs) we're going on on a great tangent, but I do want to talk about, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, um, you know, you working on Larry Wilmore's show. How did that come about? Like what, what, what did that feel like when, you know, when you did your first segment on there? Yeah, it's really funny. I um, got invited to be a guest, and it was during... On the the, roundtable? Yeah, Yeah. I got invited to be a guest, and um, I actually said no, because the (laughs) episode was about, or the topic was the Republican debate, and I just thought, I don't don't do politics. That's not my forte. You want me to talk about race and gender? I'm there, but politics, the Republicans, whatever. Um, And my producer at MTV was like, no, you have to do it. This is going to be an amazing opportunity. We really, really want you. They had tried to get me on the show before, but my schedule just didn't work out. I was so nervous. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. 
Um, Shonda Rhimes was on the show. Oh, shit. I was like, the year of yes, I'm going to do this. Um, and so I did the show, and I had a great time. And um, they asked me to come back a second time. I went back a second time. And then they called me in for a meeting. And, um, you know, I had auditioned for the show before. Mm-hmm. I was part of a showcase for the show, like, two years ago when it was still called the uh Minority Report. Minority Report. Yes, I remember that. It's still yeah. called Minority Report. Um, I did the showcase. I bombed the showcase. One of those moments I thought my career is over. Right. I'm never going anywhere. Um, was a, I submitted to be a correspondent maybe a year later. Didn't get the call. Was a guest twice. They brought me in for a meeting. They were like, we love you. Would you considered joining would you want to join the staff here yeah. and I just thought like oh my god this is crazy um and again it was that moment of wow I was so not ready a year and a half ago mm-hmm. when I thought I was ready um but you know I had decoded under my belt yeah. I had just more writing experience more um social media experience in terms of making content go viral or targeting content to Facebook or Instagram or whatever right so, yeah, I joined the staff and I learned so much. It was it was honestly the hardest job I've ever had. Um, but I think that that's why it was so important because mm-hmm. I've always wanted to work in TV. I've now done it. Yeah. And I'm just excited to use all of that experience for whatever is next. For going forward, yeah. yeah. That's cool. The thing, I, you know, Larry Wilmore is this... I don't think he gets enough credit for like all of the things that he's done. I don't think people know. People have no idea. People don't know that he, you know, worked on In Living I, Color. No, and I know. Was the executive producer of Bernie Mac show and, and the like PJs. the PJs, yep. like people and and now Blackish yep. and and Issa Rae's show. Like people have no idea. They have no idea. And he's written for like a lot of comedians and like award shows, and he's just done a lot of really cool smart things yeah um but you know like they say real g's move in in silence (laughs) like lasagna you know so like (laughs) so people don't know and that i think that that's a credit in some ways that like you're really good at what you do if people don't even realize how good you are at what you do yeah that's true that's a great way to look at it even from like such a young age i always used to study the credits and like oh my god who was who you know you're serious that's great i i I, that's it's like that's the stuff that seeps into my brain you know what i mean like (laughs) film tv knowledge like stuff about that yeah but you know what that says that you're someone that is committed to bettering yourself because you want to know like who makes the stuff that you like and so that you can appreciate their work and i think like what's their story yeah that's what i think that the best artists really go out of their way to like see who's the best in their field and like do their research and see what they can learn from them and and apply to their own careers and their own art. Yeah. You you know, I remember someone, you know, I've heard stories, I think I think it was like maybe like Donald Glover or somebody talking about how he used to um, like tape, audio tape. He wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. So he recorded the audio of it. That's so funny. And he would then transcribe it. Like to just understand what it felt like to write that. And I think Judd Apatow did the wow. same thing too. Of just like, you know, people have done that. Like, what does it feel like to write this thing that I love? And like, right. that's the kind of thing that it takes, you know, it, it takes some of the, the, the scariness away from it mm-hmm. or like the, like the impossibility of it. It also when, gives you like a blueprint. Exactly. I think, I mean, with all art forms, but especially when it comes to like comedy and, 
and uh, scripted content, like there is a format, there's mm-hmm. a formula. And so, you know, whether it's like, you know, in comedy, you take a, a, a premise and you're like, why is something like this? Wouldn't it be cool if it was like this? Yeah. And then you like mix them together and then like that's your punchline. Right. Like that is a formula. And right. so if you take The Simpsons, or um, Seinfeld is a really good example. When I was in college, um, we would do a lot of like improv games based on Seinfeld. Okay. Like they do a lot of things like where they repeat the same thing over and over again. And they just like, you say it and then I say it and then you say it and then I say it. And it's like, <laughs> and then it becomes hilarious, you know? Right. Or like, you know, they have these callbacks. They have all these little games that they play. And so I could see like, sitting there and writing it out Mm -hmm. could show you like, oh, there's a pattern here. Like this is how you make a joke or here's how you do an A story and a B story or, um, you know, here is the beginning, middle and end of a sketch. Right. Um, That's super smart. And and then like that's the only way that you can make something your own or like you can't really abstract something until you've like mastered it. Oh, you have to learn the rules before you break them. Yeah. It's, you know, any what, uh, you know, what are, what are things that still get you excited and inspired? Hmm. I mean, I still really love music. Um, and good music gets me like hype. I mean, that's how I get focused for my day. What, you know, when I'm on the train, I feel like I'm in a music video. (laughs) I pick, I have to pick the right music to like start my day. What's, what, what what would that be like this week? I don't know if it changes week to week. It does change week to week. I have been wearing out Solange's A Seat at the Table back and freaking forward. Um, So I've been listening to that a lot. Um, The music I listen to at the gym like really motivates me with whatever the challenges that I'm working on, whether I'm like boxing or I'm trying to, you know, lift a heavier weight or I've been trying to really force myself to do more pull-ups. Like every, <laughs> every day I try to do more pull-ups. I have to put on like the right music to get me hype. Um, and like when I'm writing. Pull-ups are hard, by the way. Pull, listen, I am so proud of myself for being at a place where I could do five solid pull-ups in a deal. row. Yeah. It's a really big deal for that, me. No, it is. It is. With, like, it's really hard for women to get that upper body strength. But like, you know, I'm making these gains. I'm eating this chicken. Um, <laughs> do, you do, do you go to like the rock climbing gyms? No. My friends that are like really fit and in shape, they love the, those oh, rock climbing gyms. Oh, I have not done a rock climbing gym. Yeah. Um, That's a whole nother culture. Yeah, I might. um, I'm trying not to get too culty with my gym habits. I've been going to SoulCycle and my husband was like, don't don't get roped into that cult. And I was just like, "Mm, I kind of I'm starting to get roped in. Like I already bought the shoes like I'm in in it. Um, So, you know, music really motivates me. Um, I also just love seeing other people like follow their passions. Yeah. And especially in this online to like mainstream media space. It's so cool to see people like Issa Rae just out there freaking smashing it and just saying, I have a story to tell. No one else is telling it. I want to do it my own way. And I'm, I'm also really inspired by her because she's someone that has really been plugging along for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a pilot deal at ABC with Shonda Rhimes that didn't go anywhere. Um, HBO has been developing Insecure for like five years now. Yeah. Um, and she really stuck to her guns in terms of not selling out or not compromising what her vision was. Um, I think at one point, 
BET wanted to buy Awkward Black Girl and they wanted to cast this girl who was just like one of Little Wayne's like ex baby mamas. She's like really hot and like long, silky straight black hair and like banging body and just like not an awkward black girl at yeah. all. <laughs> and Issa Rae was like, have you watched my show? Like this girl is not awkward black girl. Yeah. And I just, when I read that, I thought, wow, anybody else would have been like, yes, give me yeah, the money. I just, I Let's it. do it. Yeah. I want it. And so for her to say like, nah, I'm going to pass and like really stay focused and know that like what she wanted was coming for her later on is just like super inspiring. It takes a while for like original voices to find their, to find their, their way. You know, I mean, think about even like to go back to what we were talking about at the beginning, Maria Bamford. Yes. How long has Maria Bamford been doing what she's doing? And like and now just she, last year she had like finally has a show where you're like, right. this is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's you know? taken her a really long time. And I think that the people who are, I don't know. I think not necessarily it's not the fact that it doesn't happen overnight for some people. It does, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's a better appreciation for the rewards of your hard work when it does take some time. I think so. Um, and so that's really exciting for me. And I feel like there are so many new and exciting voices that are coming up right now. Um, I even look at someone like Donald Glover, who it's he's not a new voice, but I mean, Atlanta has been something he's been working on for like two years. He yeah. worked on that pilot. Um, and that show is like one of the weirdest and coolest shows on TV right now. It's mm-hmm. just wonderful. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's really cool. And I, um, I'm just like hyped to keep making stuff and hopefully I can be seen in the league of those people that I really look up to. Yeah. What are, what are the day-to-day fears and stresses that you come across? Um, I think my biggest stress and something that I try to work on all the time is like not getting distracted by what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that's like a big curse when it comes to social media is you can see what everybody's doing. Granted, it's a curated, of course, uh, version of what everyone's doing. Um, but that can be really hard, especially when you're like working on your own stuff and then you see somebody else is working on something really similar or something that you wish you were working on or they booked that job that yeah. you really wanted. You know, it's like it's one thing when you don't book the job, but then when you find out who did and then you see like a fucking Snapchat play by play of how great the job is and all the craft services, you're like, I, I, I wish I did that, I you know? know? So. For me, it's like trying to stay focused and like not get distracted by those things because what's for them is for them. What's for me is for me. Um, Fears, you know, I think like everybody else, I have a fear of failure, but I really just try to remind myself that um, it's not the end of the world. Some stuff doesn't work out, you know, and I, I know what I want in life, but I don't. there's only so much I can control. And so I try to focus on what I can control and take it one day at a time and, um, (laughs) and just keep my eye on the prize and do what I need to do in the day to day to get there. It's, I mean, I, I I completely agree. And sometimes it's, it's, it's easier said than done. Oh, it's always easier said than done. Are you kidding me? Right. Like, as I'm telling you this, like, five minutes ago, I was like, ah! Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a therapist once. She said, she really broke it down for me that, like, whenever I kind of get in that zone, it kind of helps me to, um, get myself out of that where she's like, 
she's like, are you upset about that you're not the president? I'm like, no, I'm mm-hmm. upset I'm not the president. She's like, she's like, are you upset that you're not like, you know, winning a Grammy or something? I'm like, no, I'm not upset about that. And she's like, right, you're only upset about these things because you know that you can do them. Mm. And it's like, if you can just like take that feeling of like, I don't want to say necessarily jealousy or just like frustration and turn it into more of a way of like, well, this it's like if the people around you are moving up, that means you're moving up too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've been saying, uh, stop hating and start studying is what <laughs> I've been saying. Uh, and that was something that I had to do myself because I realized that I was really spending a lot of time looking at what other people were doing and discrediting or ignoring the amount of work that they were putting into whatever it was they were doing to help them get where they were. And I realized that if I instead looked at what they were doing and tried to, in that same way, write out that Simpsons episode and like break down, like what is this formula that I could then take whatever it was that they were doing and apply it to my own craft. Um, And I found that to be really, really helpful. Um, and even doesn't have to be rooted in jealousy. It can just be admira- ad- admiration. Of course, of like, course. oh, that's a career that I really love or some work I really enjoy. How did they do that? Um, and trying to break it down so that you can do it too. Yeah. Well, so, you know, what are your hopes? You know, where do you want to end up? What do you want to do? Um, I, I want to be like, I look at someone like Oprah and I love, I mean, which is so stereotypical, <laughs> but like, I love all her money. <laughs> <laughs> She is very wealthy. <laughs> she doesn't have student loan debt. Um, no, I. what I like about Oprah is that even though she has brought the fuck shit of Dr. Phil and, you know, his ilk into our lives, she has been able to, like, break all this new talent. Mm-hmm. Like, she makes a lot of cool stuff. And then she says, you know what, Ava DuVernay, make a movie. You know? You know um, That's power. Yeah, it's power. She can literally say, like, I love this app. And then everyone goes and buys it. Or, like, this book was really great. And then everyone buys that book. And, like, I just want to be in a place in my career where I can do lots of cool things that I like, but I can also, like, put other people on. Yeah. And I can say, like, this is somebody whose voice needs to be heard and they're making awesome stuff and no one is paying attention to them. And I think that everyone should be paying attention right. to them. I want to be able to like give opportunities to other people. I want to be able to dabble in lots of different things, which again is something that Oprah can do, whether yeah. it's a book club or a magazine or a television show or, or a television network or a network or movies, you yeah. know, um, it, she has just been able to create so much awesome content and, um, I love that. And While still being true to herself, too. Absolutely. You know, whether you like her or agree with the things that she's done, you know, I'm looking at you, Tyler Perry. <laughs> she has still done, like, a lot. She's yeah. done. So She is a one-name brand. Like, everyone knows who freaking Oprah is. Like, that is just so serious. Um, yeah, so I, I would love to do that. Um, I just want to keep making stuff, but I want to continue exploring different mediums like I want to do more long form stuff Mm -hmm. I want to do more scripted stuff um I want to write more I want to act more I would love to direct um yeah just do it all yeah not limit yourself to be boxed into doing no absolutely not and that's you know the beauty of the time that we're in right now especially with the internet like you really don't have to limit yourself anymore you can dabble and try all different sorts of things yeah 
I think that's a great place to end it. Um, Francesca Ramsey, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Awesome.